Welcome to Anorak, the happy podcast for kids. We have questions, we have experts to answer them, and we also have some jokes. What's the worst vegetable to have on a boat? is all about food. Yum, yum. My favourite dinner is Selknitz Bar because there's lots of crunchy lettuce in it and there's olives too. My favourite pudding is apple crumble and I like it when we pick our own blackberries and put ice cream on it. Hi everyone, my name is Eric Ajapong, Chef Eric Ajapong. I am a chef in the United States, uh, over in the East Coast, so in the Washington, D.C. area, Maryland area, the Virginia area. But I'm originally from New York City and um, just love to cook and, and love everything about food. I became a chef because I think really the profession called me. I was just so always enamored with culinary shows and, and like cooking shows and, and cartoons when I was younger. And it just was a bug that I, I got bit really early on and, and it's something that I've stuck with and has had a lot of fun throughout my career. So I was fortunate enough to figure out what it is that I wanted to do really early and I just never looked back. My biggest influences as a child were my parents, definitely. My entire family is just so supportive and also really, really good cooks. So I come from a privileged background in that regard where everyone from my mom to my sisters to my aunts and uncles, cousins, knows their way around the kitchen. So I was uh, kind of brought up into that frame. And for me, trying to figure out like the best way to kind of find my footing, no one was really doing any sweets or pastry desserts or a desserts period. So I kind of infiltrated the family with that. And, and that was a lot of fun and started doing like little box cakes and little pastries and confectionaries and eventually graduated into the more savory side. But yeah, I started uh, doing a lot of sweet stuff and, and that's how I got my footing in the house at least. The first thing that I served my family, it's a box cake. It's not as impressive now, but I was very impressed when I was uh, about eight or nine. And it just, out of your, your regular, was it a grocer? And I picked up the cake and I had a little uh, Mickey Mouse mold that I was really proud of. And I make my cake and I poured the batter in there and I decorated it and I presented it. And understanding, especially now being a parent and when your kid does something that they're really proud of, you feel proud for them and you feel proud for the moment. I think that's the other reaction that I got from my parents. But for me, it was like the number one thing in the world. Like I can actually do this. I made this with my hands. It took the time to do it. And it was a very personal, but really like proud project for me. If you could only eat one meal every day, what would it be? Oh my goodness. Rice? I don't know if that's a good one. Yeah, rice. It's so versatile. You can have it for breakfast. You can have it for lunch. You can have it for dinner. And you can do savory. You can do sweet. It's the perfect kind of vessel. It's blank canvas, so to speak. So if you wanted to add a curry or a chutney or a stew or whatever the case is, it's perfect to kind of sop it up. And they're just fun. They're fun. It's all in your teeth and it's all over the plate. And I just love rice. Yeah. So rice is good. Good question. Really good question. My name is Frida and I'm six years old and I live in England and I'm from England and Germany. What's your favourite taste, sweet or sour? 
That is a fantastic question. Sour. I'm going to say sour. I love sour because it actually makes the sweet taste sweeter. It makes the salt taste saltier. It makes everything taste more like it actually should when it's done right and it's using a really like good ratio, so to speak. So I love, 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 love sour. I always have a little bowl of lemons and limes that I can squeeze into my teas or into my chutneys or whatever I'm making just to kind of help brighten up the dish or the drink or whatever the case is. So I would always say sour. Sour is my favorite. What your favorite kind of sandwiches? My favorite is cheese and my other favorite is jam and cheese. I love the question, Frida. My favorite sandwich, I would agree with you, a cheese sandwich, a grilled cheese sandwich is undefeated. It's like a million and oh, it hasn't lost yet. But I'm from New York City and I grew up eating bacon, egg and cheese sandwiches. And that's like the big, big like go-to sandwich. And it's just super simple. Bacon, egg, cheese on a Kaiser roll, maybe a little butter, maybe a little mayo, a little ketchup. And that's what I've been growing up eating. But now, now that I'm an adult, I like a good mortadella sandwich. I like a good broccoli rob sandwich, pork and broccoli rob. I'm a big, big, big sandwich fan. Good question, Frida. I love that one. What's your favorite thing to eat at home? My favorite thing to eat at home, you know what? I don't know if I'm embarrassed or proud or I don't know, but I love cereal. I'm a huge fan of cereal. I love cereal. It's quick. It's easy. It's like my go-to since I was a little kid. But if I'm making a more of adult meal or cooking for people, my go-to meal would probably be a pasta dish, a spaghetti or a lasagna or fra diavolo. I love good Italian food. I love food, period. So I will eat anything. Give me a burger, a hamburger, and some French fries, and that's also my calling card right there. Which eggs do you like, scrambled or fried? (laughs) I am an egg connoisseur. I love eggs. I'm going to have to say fried. I'm going to go fried. I like my eggs fried. That's the way I grew up eating. But a scrambled egg really is good on like a nice piece of toast, maybe with some avocados, like an avocado toast with some egg would be really perfect right now, uh, some scrambled egg. But fried eggs for me, just because it's faster, I love the flavor a little bit more. I love the texture. Well, that's a really good question. Good stuff. I love this. <laughs> Hello, Chef. My name is Samuel. I'm 10 years old and live in the UK. What advice can you give me to be a better cook? Oh, wow. Samuel, study and practice. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think that's the biggest piece of advice that I can give to anyone. Don't be afraid of the mistakes. Don't be afraid to start over and work on just having fun in the kitchen. I think, Samuel, once you kind of pick up a rhythm, you know where every pots and pans are, you know where your cutlery is, you know where your ingredients are, and you notice yourself kind of getting in a flow, almost like a choreographed dance, so to speak, in the kitchen. And when you can get into that little rhythm of that flow, then a lot of tasty food comes from that. So I say, just get in there, continue to just work at it. And the more hours you put in, the more comfortable you'll feel and the more uh, delicious that food will come, for sure. If you are a shy cook, I would say the first dish to start off with eggs. Eggs has come up a couple of times, actually, in this podcast, but eggs are probably the most versatile thing. You know, when I was in culinary school, there's apparently a thousand different ways to cook eggs and they'll actually challenge you in your egg cookery skills and how many different ways you know how to fry an egg, how to scramble an egg, how to bake an egg, how to coddle it. And I think when you learn the temperamental nature of the egg, then you can kind of understand how everything else works in the kitchen. And you don't necessarily need to put everything on 
the, the highest gas mark, it can go down a little bit and, and gradually cook. And that's another kind of like time and, and understanding. And again, that flow that I was talking about earlier is so, so important. So understanding eggs, how temperamental and how fragile they are, but then how delicious they can be. And when they're executed right, how rewarding that is, because there's really nothing that you can compare to a well-cooked egg versus a, a not well-cooked egg. There's more, you can really see the difference is what I'm trying to say. Just have fun, be safe, number one, and um, make sure that you're enjoying yourself. I'm Charlotte Flower, and I'm based in Scotland, right in the Highlands. And I look out my window and see mountains, so it's rather lovely. And I am a chocolate maker, but where I started in chocolate making is I'm a forager. So I like to forage my wild ingredients and then make them into chocolate. I have only been making chocolate for the last 10, 15 years. I've always foraged. So that's always, always <laughs> since I was a child and, you know, started like most children eating brambles and things like that. But I've studied forestry. I love nature. I've been foraging all my life, making salads and soups and wines and jellies and always as long as I can remember, I've done that and loved it. So really, the chocolate thing came on the back of that. Hello, my name is Maria. I'm nine years old. I live in London and I absolutely adore Anorak. What inspired you to be a chocolate maker? I have always been a forager. So I've always liked eating wild plants and wild berries and using wild flowers. So that's what started me, really. I've always loved chocolate and people are always competing to have the most exotic flavor in chocolate. And I thought, why are people always going on about exotic flavors when we have amazing flavors here growing in our hedgerows and in our woodlands and by our rivers that we could use. And so that's what really inspired me was to see whether I could use lovely chocolate with lovely wild flavors. I think I probably started with things that I knew really well, like mint or elderflower and things that I thought would be lovely with chocolate and were, but because I knew them really well. I remember I tried to make a cream chocolate. So one of the chocolates I make is a ganache, which is like a soft cream-based chocolate filling. And I infuse flavors into that cream and then I make the ganache. And I love seaweed. So I thought, yeah, seaweed's going to be great. Seaweed's going to be great. Salty chocolate, it's great, it's great. And so I infused the seaweed and made a ganache and it was just horrid. You know that smell if you go to a harbour and the tide is out and there's all that sort of oily, yucky water in the bottom of the harbour and it really smells? That's what it tasted like. <laughs> and it was just foul. But it was so I was very disappointed because I love seaweed, but I have since found that that's not the way to incorporate seaweed. There are other ways to incorporate seaweed into chocolate that work really, really well. But there was something about that way of using it that just didn't work at all. What's your secret ingredient? Well, I have lots of secret ingredients, mainly the wild flavors that I use. So each chocolate has a different secret ingredient and they are very often flavors that people don't think about in chocolate. So I use young leaves from trees sometimes that are really tasty. At the moment, I'm using wild garlic, which is an unusual flavor in chocolate, but works really, really well. 
Scots pine and Sitka spruce and larch. I use beech nuts and hazelnuts, lime flowers and seeds, lots of plants, flowers. I also use mushrooms and seaweed. It's gorgeous with chocolate, really, really tasty. And again, it's about matching the right seaweed to the right chocolate. And then fruits and berries, so brambles and raspberries and blueberries. And I make chocolates with anything. I try anything. The real secret ingredient in chocolate is the cocoa, because if the cocoa is not fantastic, then the chocolate won't be fantastic. Where do you get your supplies? I have different suppliers of chocolate, so I mainly buy chocolate that's already been made by somebody else. Sometimes buy cocoa beans and make my own chocolate, but it takes quite a lot of time and I don't often find I have enough time to do that. So I buy from different makers chocolates that I really, really love and they all make amazing chocolate and they make it from cocoa beans from all over the world. So I've got quite a menu of choices really. Each chocolate has its own character and I try and match the character of the chocolate with the flavour that I've gathered from the wild. Each chocolate is different. So there are different types of cocoa beans. There's mainly three different types. And cocoa is grown all around the world. In so the soil and the climate and the way the cocoa is grown in different parts of the world can affect the flavour of the cocoa bean. The way it's processed once it's been harvested and will, in fact, significantly affect the flavour, the way it is then handled by the chocolate maker. The cocoa bean itself is really complicated flavour-wise. It's got lots and lots of different layers. And so some might be really fruity. Some might be a little bit nuttier. Some might be really chocolatey, really, really chocolatey. Others might be really caramelly and sweet. They are incredibly versatile. Their range is amazing. And so all of those different factors, the bean variety, the way it's grown, where it's grown, how it's processed on the farm, and then how the chocolate maker processes it will bring out all these different flavors. So there's character and flavor, but there's also character in how easy it is to work with. Some chocolates are really thick when you melt them and they're really difficult to work with to make a nice bar or to make a nice shell. They're hard work. Other chocolates are really fluid and melt beautifully. You work really easily with them. You're not having to fight it all the time. And I know that sounds <laughs> weird, fighting chocolate, but sometimes it does feel like you're having to fight it because it doesn't want to do what you want it to do. So those chocolates, unless I really, really, really like the flavour, I sort of avoid them. So they have lots of different aspects to character. How long does it take you to make a chocolate bar? It depends whether I'm going to make the chocolate myself or if I start with chocolate that somebody else has made. So if I start with chocolate that somebody else has made, I melt it in a melting tank overnight and then we temper it and then you mould it. So you pour it into the chocolate moulds and that will take three or four hours really. And then I like to leave them to fully set, sometimes overnight, and then I wrap them. So although it's not a huge amount of hours, it's sort of a three-day process. If I was to make the chocolate myself from cocoa beans, that's completely different. So I would roast them, which will take a couple of hours, and then I will crack them open and winnow them. 
That can take another couple of hours. Then I start to grind them in a stone grinder. That's another couple of hours. So it might be a whole day to actually start the grind by the roasting, the winnowing, and then the grinding. And then they grind for three or four days. So I'm not doing anything except checking that it's okay and it's nice and fluid and it's grinding to the right consistency. But it's quite a long time for the machine to be running. And then when I'm happy with it, I pour it out and I might temper it immediately or I make it into chocolate bars immediately. So that's another two or three hours. So if I'm making it myself, it could take a week. What's your favourite chocolate? Good question. I don't know because I have so many chocolates and often I think, ooh, that's my new favourite. And then I go back to an old favourite and think, "Mm, no, I actually am really faithful to that old favourite. I think sometimes it's how you feel. So which time of the day, um, if I'm feeling really, really tired and really exhausted, I need a sort of salty milk chocolate that will pick me up. If I'm feeling really happy, like I just want to celebrate something, we make a, a chocolate with wild raspberries that we've picked. We grind it into a Venezuelan plain chocolate. It's so indulgent and it's so tasty. And raspberries, I think, are probably my favorite fruit. I love raspberries. I think they're really rich. And with this particular chocolate is a perfect match. My favorite restaurant is called Maymay, which is in Borough Market in central London. Maymay is a traditional Singaporean restaurant. The food has a large amount of spices, but it's not too spicy. I also love the steamed mantel buns and Milo, which is a chocolate malt drink. What do you call a crab that won't sell? A little bit of selfish. <laughs> I'm Chantelle Nicholson. I am a chef, restaurateur, about to open a new restaurant called Apricity in Mayfair in London. Originally from New Zealand, uh, been in London just over 17 years. Kind of started out life in a bit of a different career path in terms of I studied law and commerce and then realised that food was my big passion. So I'm lucky enough to have made that my career path. What school did you work at? I didn't actually learn cooking at school. I did learn cookery when I was 11. We had a year worth of kind of segments. We did cooking, sewing metalwork and woodwork, which was really, really helpful. And then I just started working in a cafe, first of all. So I did lots of baking, muffins, cakes, quiches, slices, etc. And then started working in a restaurant. And that was where I learnt on the job, really. As much as having had a lot of cooking at home when I was little. And I guess that kind of paved the way for what I eventually went in to do. What's your favourite herb? Mine's rosemary. Oh gosh, do you know what? I really struggle to have a favourite herb because I think all herbs are just the most incredible bursts of flavour. I would say if I had to pick, I don't think I could pick a a top one. I think they all have their place in different things. I think one that I think really just transforms quickly and easily is coriander. It's one of my favourites. Then I adore rosemary as well. And I think it just gives a really kind of aromatic undertone to everything. Bailey's Times, also adore. Dill, I think is amazing from freshness. Mint, 
as well. Basil, they're just kind of the most wonderful little bursts of flavour. So it's, yeah, it's very hard to choose a favourite. Do you do the cooking or do the cooks do it and you tell them what to do? (laughs) So we all do a bit of cooking. I would say the kind of further up you get and the more in terms of running other roles, I guess, in terms of running the business. So I probably do less cooking now than I did previously. Depends how big the kitchen is. Sometimes if it's a small kitchen, there's a lot more hands-on involvement in cooking. If it's a very big kitchen, like my previous restaurant, Treadwells, then I would do some of the prep during the day, but then most of my time would be spent actually running the service. So putting things on the plate, testing, tasting, organizing, making sure everyone's okay, making sure all the deliveries have come in. So there's kind of many, many facets to what goes on in a kitchen. Cooking is just quite a, a small part of it in some ways. I think for me, the process generally starts with an ingredient. So something that's coming into season or something that I've just discovered or something that someone sent me a sample of. So for instance, we know we're about to come into asparagus season. So then it's thinking, okay, what else is in season? What else is interesting? Um, We've just been working with a new supplier that makes their own miso from British ingredients. So it's kind of like, okay, could those work together? And then we've also got a farmer that we work with in Essex who's got some British growing lemons, which is a, a a very, very rare thing. So again, it's kind of thinking, okay, How can we make these elements work together? And then it's looking at, I guess for me, a dish is all about the overall eating experience and satisfaction. It's kind of looking at different textures. So you've got to have something that's crunchy in there. You've got to have something that's potentially creamy. If it's a vegetable or a protein, then you've got some kind of bite to it. And then you're looking at what balances that. So if it's some acidity, so if you're kind of pickling something just to add a bit of cut through that richness. So it's kind of a bit of a process and each each dish is different. And sometimes we'll take recipes that we've got on file and just kind of repurpose them or use them for one element, or we'll just slightly change them to incorporate a different element. So we do, obviously in the kitchen, there's recipes for a lot of things so that we make sure things are made in the same way each time. But obviously bearing in mind each vegetable, each cut of meat is a different scenario. So you need to kind of actually have that understanding of what the process is and what happens in that process to be able to make the most complete dish that you can. Testing is you may come up with an idea, but not sure if it definitely kind of works or not sure of the ratios to be able to then create a recipe from for people to use. So sometimes it's going through certain things and sometimes it's making the same thing, but maybe in a few different ways. Maybe it's cooking it for different times. Maybe it's changing one element of an ingredient that can kind of have quite a big impact on it. So we don't do a lot of testing, to be honest, but because we have a good kind of repertoire of of what we've done before in a recipe database and I can kind of taste things in my head if that makes sense so I kind of know how things would come together so it's very much about bringing that together and then also making sure that we're not kind of wasting anything when we are doing the testing so as long as it can be reused in some way or it's used for the team to eat so it's kind of the whole process and just thinking about each element of it could be short as 24 hours or even 12 hours if it happens in that day to kind of a week two weeks maybe sometimes or even a month sometimes we'll do something and it just doesn't quite feel right so then we'll we'll kind of park it and revisit it later down the line as well so it's all very varied I think with that is the thing about food it's of the moment and it's time and place so it kind of needs to also feel like that it's interesting to frame it as imagination because I think there's for me in some ways imagination and creativity and curiosity all blend into one but I think you know I do imagine what a dish is going to taste like I imagine what it's going to look like so I kind of see it in my mind and I can taste it in my mind as well. So I think imagination is one of the most 
important parts of anything because I think if you can kind of imagine how it will be, if you can imagine the taste of that asparagus, the bite of it on your tongue, the saltiness, the sweetness, the, the acidity all coming together, then that's something that you really want to encourage and make the most of. What other things do you enjoy doing apart from cooking? I love eating. I really love eating. That's probably why I cook, so that I can eat. I also really enjoy seeing other people enjoying food. And I guess that's part of running a restaurant is that you're doing it to create joy for people to enjoy your food. I really enjoy the parts about running the restaurant as a whole, so the people part of it. And that's from the team to the guests, to the suppliers, to everyone that's kind of involved within that little ecosystem. I really love learning more about food. I think that's what I love about food is you can never, ever know everything. There's just so much out there to learn about it in terms of different cuisines, different cultures, different ways of doing things, different ingredients, different ways of growing things, different ways of rearing animals, etc. So there's just so much to learn. And I think I really love that learning journey and actually meeting suppliers that are doing amazing things, meeting growers that are growing amazing fruits or vegetables or herbs and they're meeting farmers that put in so much work and time into their animals into the pasture into kind of whole ecosystem of their farm knock knock who's there cash cash who actually i prefer peanuts (laughs) thank you for listening bye bye And now, a message for the grown-ups. Be sure to stay up to date with our happy podcast series by subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like it that much, feel free to leave a review. Follow our happy news by visiting anorakmagazine.com, where you can become a patron and register your child to be a little podcaster for our next series. Oh, and we are on Instagram too, at anorakmag. See you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.